Thanks for the memories. You've got a friend in us. This is episode 34, Catch Me If You Can, from 2002. I'm Frank William Abagnale Jr. And I'm also Frank William Abagnale Jr. And we have no guests today, so here's what we're doing. So we are recording this live from quarantine, separately, of course. And we're recording a bunch of these more quickly. I don't know how whether we might release them more quickly. I don't know. We haven't talked about that yet. Depends on how far ahead we get. But some of these we might not have guests. Like this is a movie that I think a lot of people love. And I know that the person who signed up for it, my other podcasting partner, Joe, too, really loves. But just because we want to get through these quickly while there's not much to do, there might not always be guests on these, which is totally fine. Because I'm just here to talk about great movies like Catch Me If You Can. Exactly. And yeah, it's I'm going to miss some of the guests, but it also makes makes me feel like we're back to the old days, going solo bolo yes. before we even had guests. I mean, the one that we've not really talked about since we did Cage Club is that the original run of Cage Club, which was probably 80% guestless, you and I did three episodes a week. And I was just like, oh, this is too much. I mean, now I'm recording, I think, four episodes a week. We also know what we're doing more, and I have less work to do than I was, because I was commuting to a job and, you know, at the office for 40 hours a week. Now I work from home, and, you know, as things are a little bit slower, like, it's not as bad, but still, like, that original run was insane. And so I guess we're, you know, we're going back to our basics here to talk about Catch Me If You Can. Yeah, feels good. Here we are. It's a good movie to do that with, too, I feel like. One that we both enjoyed instead of one we're going to sit here and sort of trash for 45 minutes. <laughs> well, yes, and that's why, because, you know, next week, I don't want to get ahead of ourselves because I, I, I have sneaking suspicions I'm going to like it more than I remember liking it, but next week is The Lady Killers, and I know that that's not necessarily an ideal movie to follow this up with. But anyway, let's talk about that next week or next in two weeks or whatever. Mike, if nobody has seen, if the listener's not seen Catch Me If You Can, please give them a quick plot summary. What is this movie about? Um, I'm going to explain it from the Hanks side, mostly, because that's what we're here for. But Hanks plays Carl Hamrity, who is an FBI agent who works at the forgery department. And he is hot on the trail of one Frank William Abagnale, who is played by none other than Leo DiCaprio. So Leonardo DiCaprio is Frank Abagnale. Uh, He comes from sort of this broken family. He runs away from home at the age of 16, becomes a check forger, compulsive liar and con man, and becomes, at first, his own high school teacher. Then he becomes a pilot, he becomes a doctor, he becomes a lawyer. This is only over the course of like a few months, and he has to change professions just as Carl is catching up with him. He has two or three run-ins where he nearly catches him if he can, but he doesn't quite. Eventually, Frank hightails it out of America, overseas, escapes to Europe, where he goes on a frenzy spending spree, and Hanks eventually tracks him down to his mom's old hometown in France, where there is an ancient printing press where he is making real checks now and is completely out of control. He convinces the French authorities to bring him in peacefully, but they end up holding him for like a year or two before he could get extradited back to America, where he is then thrown in jail for 15 years. But Carl comes to him one day with a a forgery issue and decides that, hey, maybe we could use this guy. And Frank is then hired by the FBI to catch people like he used to be and works out his sentence at the FBI, partners with Carl. They become lifelong friends. The movie says at the end, you know, he's living a a nice life with a wife and some kids and happily ever after for the most part. That is Catch Me If You Can. Yeah, and the important thing to know is that this movie is based on a true story and the actual Frank Abagnale Jr. says this is about 80% true because it's based on a book based on his life and he says it's about 80% true. One of the main differences is that he did not call Carl every Christmas. He's like, why would I want them to know where I was? Like, that just is crazy. So that's a theatrical film flourish here. I do like that this is firmly a Christmas movie and there's four Christmases. Just 
you know, forget about the movie Four Christmases. This is actually Four Christmases because it's like there's one, two, three. I was like, oh, there's three, and then like later they go to another one. I'm just like, oh, Four Christmases. But yeah, so here I like this movie. This is one of my favorite Tom Hanks movies. I don't know that you know on my ranking on Letterboxd, I don't know like this is kind of lower than it should be just because if you're watching for a Tom Hanks movie, it's not really a Tom Hanks movie. Like it is, but it's not. You know what I mean? Yeah, he's the supporting role here. I mean, it, it's right. it's a larger than usual supporting role. You know, it's almost split screen time almost but I think even at this point it was more of a DiCaprio vehicle like he was really the rising star and to support him with someone like Hanks was sort of to solidify his legitimacy and then after this he'd go on and do his like Scorsese stint or something or maybe he was even in the middle of that now not only supporting him with Hanks but also supporting him with Christopher Walken who I think got an Academy Award nomination oh yeah and Spielberg in general right yes yeah 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 I have a question for you. So I know that Christopher Walken is good in this movie, and I know that he was Oscar-nominated, but it feels like, and I want to sort of talk about him before we talk about Hanks and DiCaprio, because it's sort of its own little thing mm-hmm. here. It feels to a certain extent, and this is where I, the, the history, the waters are muddied, it feels like he's a bit of a caricature of himself here. Like, when the Hoff Bros, when Kyle and Brian did Scent of a Woman for their show, right? And, like, that's the movie, essentially, where Al Pacino invented the hua, which is now, like, what people go to for the impression of him, right? Oh, you mean Doncachino? Okay. Yes. But it feels like Christopher Walken is a parody of himself here, but maybe he's not. Like maybe this is just like what he was like. You know what like do you know the question I'm asking? Like, is this authentic or is this like is it parody or like right. I, I I can't tell. It's hard to tell in retrospect. Looking at it now, it feels authentic and genuine. But at the time I think like he was sort of going through this weird, like pre Nicolas Cage internet sort of rediscovery kind of thing like there was sort of a walk-in renaissance of some kind where he was in music videos and people were like oh he was a dancer and he started dancing on tv all the time and his uh, impression became like very popular to do christopher walken right. impression and i think like what ended up happening was he just ended up getting more work and more exposure and just was doing what he always did i don't think he's pouring it on if anything i feel like he's really restrained here for the most part like he usually i see him as more expressive you know what i'm saying and and here he feels way more subtle but I could understand maybe at the time watching this and sort of snickering from time to time because he's doing that like my watch kind of stuff you know like this watch there was already all these sort of like preconceived notions of him as an actor so I could see at the time but now looking at it I don't get a sense of any of that I was actually starting to like choke up at some of those scenes with him and Leonardo right yeah I mean he's really good in this it's just it's one of those things where I know that like he went from being a like because you go back and you watch a scene in Pulp Fiction you're like oh that's just like straight up like great acting you know what I mean and here maybe just because there's more of him maybe it's because it's not as like literally a 10 minute monologue or just him talking to the camera for 10 minutes or whatever right it's a different kind of thing and I just couldn't tell and I'm inclined to agree to you I'm glad that you described it the way you did because it's hard to see like in retrospect or in the time or whatever you know where that actually falls yeah and I think even at the time like I was having trouble with Leo like I I love him as an actor now but like I was not a big fan of like the Titanic Leo and the younger Leo and and stuff and Mm. this really felt like this won me over to be quite honest when I first saw this, like, I think I watched it for Hanks and my dad was like, no, 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 like, you got to watch like this for the whole thing and everything. And I watched it again and I watched it for like everything. And it's like, damn, I do like Leo now. It's sort of like, it was like a reverse sort of Tobey Maguire thing, right? Where it's like, <laughs> I see that one movie with Charlize and I'm like, now I hate Toby, but I see this movie and right. I'm like, oh, wow, now I really like Leo. I mean, that's the thing. And I will say that, you know, my favorite part of this movie, if we're going to kick the podcast.
podcast off in earnest. I think Hanks is great in this movie. I'm really glad that we got to watch it for the podcast, but there's an undeniable bummer of a fact. Every time Hanks comes on screen, it's just like, oh, like we're having so much fun with Leo. And I know you need the balance. I know like that's what makes it work so well, but like you're seeing Leo live this like playboy lifestyle, like basically Gatsby before he's Gatsby, right? Like Jordan Belfort before he's Jordan Belfort. Like he's just like, he's learning how to become that like new money millionaire. And it's so much fun to watch Leo be Leo and watch him, you know, defraud people and like convince people and, and you know, influence and persuade and whatever and then Hanks is like alright we gotta put a stop to this it's like no but the movie's fun like, don't, let, don't stop it <laughs> yeah I did not remember Hanks' character being so like made to be so unlikable like you don't really want to like this guy like and it's funny because you should because he's the he's on the right side of the law and like Frank is is breaking the law but like we love right. him he's so much more charismatic and like I want him to get away and he's only like a teenager too yeah. so it's odd it's it is the bummer Hanks but after a while I sort of I don't know it feels like he settles into the role especially after he tells the knock knock joke right oh which is my favorite Hanks moment in this entire movie maybe one of his greatest film moments yet for sure but I get what you're saying about that but you know without that like what this would be like that movie blow right which the Johnny Depp cocaine film which is sort of half kind of got this vibe and that just feels too excessive so I almost wondered if like and this movie is two hours and 20 minutes you know you could cut back some stuff but like I almost wondered if they put that in there because they're like Frank's life is too excessive like no one is ever going to believe this and all this thing you really have to show that other sides sort of like you know the everyman or the average man who's like the guy going after yeah. him. Yeah. And like the interactions between the two of them, like the first time that they meet when, you know, he convinces him that he's Secret Service and then later in the movie, like those work so well. And I think without having the Hanks as a bummer, like establishing Hanks as like a by the books, not necessarily a field agent, more like a white collar crime as opposed to a out in the field trying to track people down, right? Like without mm-hmm. establishing all of that, I don't think that the interactions and the development and the ending especially works as well as it does. But it's still like in the moment, you're like, no, I just want Leo to like, I want a movie with like no reaper percussions where he's just like yeah like i'm living my best lifestyle here you know and like but i know that that's not like that's not an actual movie that's not an actual story yeah i know i mean yeah, like i feel like we eventually get that in something like wolf of wall street where they really yeah. only show the like they show way less of the cops trying to get jordan right like yeah, way less of kyle chandler because like in that it's yeah it's yeah, it's not about him right, right there's the yacht scene which has to be in the movie and then maybe there's one scene of him like on a subway or something like that so yeah no i, I totally see that it's just like there's something so charming for me about i feel like hanks isn't all right he's not like playing against type but he kind of is like spielberg's doing like this really weird trick where you know like i kind of said before like he's making the bad guy the likable guy and the good guy the unlikable guy and for me watching this movie the first time it was weird because i you know like i said like i wasn't really warm on leo so like i was kind of you know against him when it all started anyway and i just think it's like a tribute to spielberg's touch like this movie just it's great in that tone where it's like it, it could get so much darker right and it never does and like no one ever really leans into that zone too hard i'm sure that frank was doing way worse stuff than we're seeing you know and i'm sure hanks was oh, yeah. being way more noble than he's being appeared so like i just kind of try and think of that as well as while i'm watching it now is there a favorite part is there a favorite moment in here that we have not talked about yet because i mean we can go into sort of more specific details and like before we get to the things that we would want to change maybe but like the knock knock joke is obviously That's great 
great. great. I think Leo's a lot of fun. We think, you know, I like your thing. Like, when we were on Road to Perdition, we were talking about Hanks being cast against type and then sort of eventually winding up here. Like, he's not against type, you're right. I think that's why it kind of works better because it's just like a different side of him. It's like, it's what you're expecting, but within the narrative that's being told, it works differently. Even with, um, what's his name, Martin Sheen, right? Like, he's supposed to be sort of a villain, but not. I don't know. Like, it's there's interesting dynamics on display here. Well, yeah, I think I think it's like everybody who poses a potential threat to Leo is That's supposed to be seen as a villain, yeah, right? Yeah. It's like, oh yeah, you know that teacher? Like, what's what's that teacher's dog's name? Like, just like quizzing. He's like, oh, like sir, that the dog died. <laughs> like, that's how you get out of it. Like, you just have to be like so smart and with it and like charming and just in the moment. You're like, oh no, you're not gonna bring me down. Like, there's so many moments in this movie where Leo is so clearly in over his head, but it's either the, the cumulative everyone else in the world is unsure of what they're doing. Like, well, do you concur? He's like, I don't even know what you're asking, but like, <laughs> this kid's bleeding out. Like, we need to do something. And he's able to get out of that situation or telling a lie or, you know, whatever, like the dog died. It's just his ability to read people and read the situation. And even though he is constantly outmatched, just by, not even by people, but like by the world, right. by the own circumstances he's put himself in, he's able to, to evade it all. So I think this this is good because I think this leads into something that I really loved about his character. And I think this time around, I'm going to use it as my favorite part of the movie okay. is he learns all of his professions basically by watching television and movies yes. about yes. that profession. Like yes. that is just, cause that's what a teenager would do. I mean, that's what an adult mm-hmm. would do. Like, let's be honest. Like that is so smart and funny. And just, even if that's part of the, you know, what 20% that's not true. I'm so glad it's in the movie because even earlier when he's being like a kid reporter, right. Where he's like posing as Jimmy Olsen and he's trying to quiz right. the guy at Pan Am about like what a deckhead is and a jump seat and all that kind of stuff or, or, or whatever. And I just love how his character finds all these sort of shortcuts into that lifestyle, into that, into faking it, you know, because like he just fakes it the whole time and gets away with it because he he acts like he knows what he's doing because he actually thinks he knows what he's doing. Right. And I think that kind of leads to how he legitimately like passed the bar you know like I love that reveal too where where uh, Carl's like how'd you pass the bar how'd you pass the bar he's always like bothering him about that and eventually he's like I studied my ass off for two weeks eventually it's like he's got all of this his natural ability yeah he's smart yeah yeah and he's got a great work ethic right but he just he's just not working in the legal zone like he, he's working outside of society so like that one time where he like had to pass the bar and like yeah you could actually do this shit if you put your mind to it so uh, I really like that stuff. That's set up really effectively early on. I think the game show, like, to tell the truth or whatever, which, it, which oh, he yeah. was actually on. The Frank Abagnale was actually on. But the woman is like, you're clearly so smart. Like, why did you go out of your way? You have all of the drive and ambition in the world. Like, if you did things by the book, you wouldn't be where you are, but you would be, like, 90% of the way there, and it would be legitimate, right? And, like, you have to work a little bit harder, but, like, you're already working hard. You're just channeling it into different avenues, right? Like, why didn't you just do it and just, like, that's not what interests him, right? Because he, Mm -hmm. like... His dad, I think what works also well about the Christopher Walken, not the performance as much as, but like the characters, the way they interact is like, he's raised to be a hustler, even though Christopher Walken's not good at it, but he's like, borrow this suit, be my driver, open the door, the bank manager's going to think I'm a big deal. And like, it doesn't work. And you know, they get the car repossessed and they get the house repossessed or have to sell the house or whatever. And all of these like little hustles don't actually pay off in a big way. But Leo is basically like taking the lesson that he shouldn't be learning and being like, oh no, I'm going to 
do this better. Like, I'm going to do this right. Like, I'm going to do what you've been trying to do, but actually be successful at it. Yeah, there's that great scene at the end where he's like, we got him. Like, or, or his dad says to him, like, look, you're a big shot now. Like, you really got him back. Or like, you're sticking it to the government now and stuff. And it's just like such a weird, but like, there's something so like genuine and honest about how Frank sort of gleamed the wrong lesson off of what his father was sort of doing or like how his dad didn't know he was raising Frank in like this way or that it would rub off on him like that and everything but like all of his dad's problems with like the IRS and, and all this kind of stuff like it's it's not very forefront but for Frank like that's his motivation the whole time is like I'm gonna get I'm gonna get over on the government for getting over on my family and like destroying my father's life and all this kind of stuff and then yeah at the end I mean he doesn't even know his dad passed away it's like it's crazy like that whole the dynamic of that relationship is is strong and I think there's a reason why like so much of that stuff works like I don't know if you saw the Spielberg documentary like a year or two ago I don't think so like his family like his parents life like is eerily similar to Frank Abagnale's parents life like his Spielberg's mom left his father for his dad's best friend just like Frank's mom left his dad for his dad's best friend in this movie and like if you think about it like Spielberg kind of went and played pretend for like the rest of his life to sort of work out those issues kind of like the way Frank went and like pretended to do a lot like all these things or like did these things but like you know went on to be like a fictional character almost in his own life and so I don't know I just really loved all that kind of stuff coming through too and I think you know even if you don't know that stuff it, it's what sort of makes those moments like powerful and speaking of Spielberg one other thing that I really really like about this movie is the casting and the smaller actors like from top to bottom everyone across the board is so good here and whether it's Spielberg or whether it's Deborah Zane who's the casting director like I'm looking her up on IMDb right now to see if she was like Spielberg's casting director and it doesn't seem like yes but she's done so many huge movies specifically ones tied to us like the Limey Soderbergh movie the Legend of Bagger Vance which we did for Charlize I think right Road to Perdition which we just did mm. uh, Solaris Matchstick Men Ocean's 12 and then most or not most recently but one of the more recent ones Fast Five like this woman Deborah Zane is like killing it on the casting and like being able to cast baby Elizabeth Banks relative baby Jennifer Garner relative baby Amy Adams like all these actresses who go on to be like the biggest stars in the world maybe because they're in a Spielberg movie with like a sizable part and like that gets you notoriety but at the same time like they're in the first three or five years of their career and they're not necessarily worldwide known yet. I mean, Jennifer Garner, I think Alias had been on, so she's a little bit bigger. But she's also got, like, a little bit of a bigger part. But, like, Amy Adams and Elizabeth Banks are, like, they're not huge yet. Like, Elizabeth Banks has been wet hot, but, like, from top to bottom, like, everyone, like, all the supporting cast here is so great. And, like, it's amazing to see, like, before they were, like, superstars. Like, basically, as they're becoming stars, everyone that he interacts with is, like, it's so well cast everywhere and I love that about this yeah that was a nice surprise was like just seeing all the small little like one or two moment roles being occupied by people who are now stars like there's another leading lady in there too who was a flight attendant and she had like one line looking directly at the camera I think she was in old school or and went on to do like a medical drama on TV or something but I was like hey her also like everyone is like in this movie like, <laughs> like what's going on here but Amy Adams is like a revelation like I think this was the first time I'd ever seen seen her and like holy shit like was she actually like a teenager because like I know Leo wasn't and Leo is passing incredibly as like a little kid sometimes in this movie and he's also passing as like an adult so like Amy Adams in her braces and all that kind of stuff no, she was like, like 27 27 wow. 28 wow okay 
That's incredible. She's fantastic in this movie. <laughs> like, that whole subplot about like going and getting married to her with her dad, like just yes. there's so much like that poor character by the end of this movie. <laughs> and I will say that like one of the things that I did not like about this movie that I forgot how it all shook out. Like I forgot how important her character was to the overall narrative because it seems like everyone that Leo's interacting with it's like I'm not here for a long time. I'm here for a good time. I mean he's taking advantage of people. He's not like really like manipulative or like evil about it. He's just like hey you're the means to an end. I'm going to get rich i'm gonna you know take you out on a date whatever like i'm gonna flirt with you but you're gonna cash a check no harm no foul essentially right like that's not exactly true but like that's essentially the, the kind of the scam that he's running so it seems like it's gonna be that kind of thing with amy adams you know he, he hits on her he flirts with her whatever and then they kind of get a little bit more serious but he's like if you're a virgin it's okay she's like no i had an abortion i was like well like where like that feels like it comes out of nowhere and i feel like if it had ramped up a little bit more and i don't know how to do that but it's just like oh like this got heavy in a way that i wasn't expecting and then i was like why like that feels so strange but then it's like oh okay because then it's a you know riff with her parents and then it becomes this whole thing and like it, it develops but I was like that felt jarring and I don't know if you felt that way when you're watching this time but I was just like oh like, wow whoa okay so I definitely experienced that when I first saw this movie and I kind of like was bracing myself for it it's like around like the last like 30-40 minutes that kind of all starts to go down and I would have preferred if maybe that was our sort of flashback nexus instead of extraditing Frank like I like the way the movie cuts back and forth and stuff it's very right. clever but this chunk just kind of feels like an afterthought sometimes and I don't mind it per se what it's trying to get at I think it's trying to say you know Frank actually does want to try and settle down and, and quit and all that kind of stuff um, and he's fooling himself clearly but you're right there's something I don't want to say like clunky but like they just end up settling longer than they ever do in any other part of Frank's life and I'm, I'm so used to him being on the go 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 it just kind of like sits there for a while a little too long and I did kind of feel that this time too which is why I really especially enjoyed the scene where he hightails it out the, the window during his wedding like I just thought that was like so comically amazing and like just cut all that other stuff like perfectly for me where I was like oh okay like there's sort of like a slow burn to that whole punchline right where it's like look he got Amy Adams back in the good graces of her father and now he's just gonna like get her kicked out of the house again for for falling for this swindler like it's just like one of those old-timey huckster stories or something all of a sudden but i definitely you know picked up on what you're saying actually that's something that i, I meant to ask you a little bit earlier i don't know how many times have you seen this movie because i think this is only the second time i've mentioned this i don't know if it was on this podcast or maybe it was on cruise club or maybe just other things that you and i have recorded but there was a stretch in college where like basically when I went to college I was like oh I have so much free time I could do something creative or constructive or I could just like watch a bunch of movies and so I watched a bunch of movies and I kind of caught up on like a lot of the best movies you know quote unquote best movies that have ever been made and I watched this in that stretch and so like in the span of like four years where I was like oh basically every movie that people consider great I watched once right and so like I have this muddled jumbled everything is all together in my brain because I watched so many good movies over such a short amount of time that now I mean I still watch that many movies but like it kind of cuts in here and there or whatever mm -hmm. like the podcast allows us to go a little bit deeper anyway my point is that i've only seen this twice once a long time ago and then once last night like i remembered certain things like i remembered the cat and mouse and i remember the fun and i remember that scene in the hotel with leo and hanks where like he thinks he's about to get caught or whatever but i didn't remember a ton of this movie so what is your history with this have you seen this a bunch when was the last time you saw it is this one of your favorites this might be one of my favorite spielberg movies like as much as okay. as much as i love like science fiction and fantasy stuff like I really love when Spielberg can do this kind of stuff like 
not even that it's like a straight drama or anything, but just, you know, like a, a, I don't know what, like a biopic kind of thing. But there's just something so sort of unique about this movie in general, like the vibe of it, almost like it should have been made like in the 60s, like when, like right. right after Frank got caught or something. Like it's got a great look and all that kind of stuff to it. Like the opening credits itself like alone are just like, oh, this is, this is yeah. like picture perfect. It's like Saul Bass opening credits or something. But uh, to answer your question, I think this is the third time I've seen it all the way through. So I saw it when it came out on DVD, um, and then I saw it like a couple years later, and then I caught a lot, I catch it a lot on TV and sit and just watch like a couple scenes and stuff like that. So I'm like kind of familiar with a lot of different parts of it, but then I sat down and, you know, watched it straight through for for the podcast episode for the third time straight. So, yeah, I mean, it is, again, like, you know, it's two hours and 20 minutes, so it's not like a, it's not like the most casual movie to put on necessarily, but I was surprised how much it was flying by. That's the other thing. Like, it keeps changing up, so it keeps it moving. In the scope of Spielberg's career, specifically tied to what we're doing here, this is the second movie he directed that Hanks was in. It was Saving Private Ryan and then this. And there's going to be, I think, at least two more. I think he's got Bridges, Spies, and The Post if I'm remembering right. But this is the fourth time they've worked together because I think Spielberg is a producer on Joe vs. the Volcano. And I think they probably worked together on Band of Brothers because um, I think Hanks was involved there. So like they've been collaborative for a while. This is also sandwiched in between or right around, I think, the two Tom Cruise Spielberg team-ups that we've already talked about in Minority Report and War of the Worlds. Like, this is right in that era. Nice. And this is also part of what I I, I didn't know until yesterday. I never heard this phrase. Do you know his Running Man trilogy? I guess it's just like Men on the Run. No. It's this and Minority Report and AI are all Spielberg's apparently Running Man trilogy, which reminds me of Cage Club when we did the Sunshine trilogy. We're like, oh, like this is, this is not a thing that I've ever heard, but like it makes sense, right? You know what's cool about that too is that it's about people but they're all like they age in reverse so like Tom Cruise is an adult Leonardo DiCaprio's a teenager and Haley Joe Osment I'm sorry Slow Joey is a child yeah so I was like oh so like this you know obviously Spielberg like well actually not I don't want to say obviously because like we, we had gone such a long time I felt like in our podcast like we've done hundreds and hundreds before we like actually got to a Spielberg movie and now like I guess because Tom Cruise and Tom Hanks are like legitimate huge movie stars as opposed to like Nicolas Cage who is in and out of that world and Keanu who's in and out of that world we're finally in the part where like oh no these are guys who like will bring an audience right like they're ones who like will sell tickets and so we're seeing a lot of Spielberg and I feel like it's it's a new experience and, like this 2000-2005-ish era is like this is the Spielberg like that the Tom Tom Club is all about <laughs> yeah you know this movie almost feels like a team up in a way like they used to do in comics like when you know Wolverine and like Spider-Man would team up for a couple issues or something like it almost feels like that's yeah. like the power of Spielberg where he's like like, he is so big that he's like, yeah, I'll take the two biggest stars in America right now and put him in, like, an awesome movie with this, based on this great yeah. true story. <laughs> it's just kismet. Yeah, like, things were really happening around this time. Uh, I like his James Bond era where, oh, they're calling me the James Bond of the sky, and he goes and buys the suit, and he gives the Ian Fleming name, and he buys the car, and it's just like, oh, that's very cool. Like, it's not important to the story, but it's just like, look how cocky and, you know, bravado, like, the bravado level that he has, right? I love his sort of, uh, like, because he's a teenager, like, I love mm-hmm. how in tune with pop culture he is like he calls himself Barry Allen after the Flash yeah. like that's so cool and this whole thing about the James Bond and stuff like it, what's great is like he can pull it off like you know as a person like it's not like oh I picked Barry Allen out of a hat like he's leaving clues like he's dropping bread crumbs like he's an arrogant 
little prick. And I do wonder how much of that, and not to like take away from it in the movie, because I think it's fun and I think it narratively serves a lot of purpose, but I wonder how much of that was real because it feels like the kind of thing like, well, why would you pick something that's so obvious to tip off your thing? And like, it feels like a narrative reveal, like where the waiter's like, oh, you're Barry, like, are you a new comics fan or whatever, right? Like it feels movie-ish, but it also works so well because it is fun and charming and fits the character or fits, you know, who this character, the actor, real, not actor, the real person seems to be. You know, another thing that I like toward the end, so there's the little thing that I like where he recruits the harem of Pan Am in training stewardesses to, like, escort him through the airport. Like, I love that. But, like, around that scene, what I love, and again, I'm not sure if this is movie movie or if this is real life movie or whatever the FBI agents are asking Tom Hanks are like how do you know he didn't drive to Atlanta how do you know you didn't drive up to New York and fly to there and like Hanks is like because I'm not in New York I'm not in Atlanta like I don't know that that's necessarily true but it feels like it's literally a game of cat and mouse that Hanks is like you're not going to like he wants to beat me it's not like he wants to get away he wants to get away by beating me because this is fun for him like it's like you know, yeah without me he would he wouldn't he might be living a normal life but like it's this guy that like it's why serial killers like send notes to the police or whatever like they want to be caught kind of but they want to make it difficult or what you know what i mean like it's i like that element of it that he's just like oh no like he's not doing that because i'm here and he wants to make sure that that not only that he wins but i lose so that that's kind of funny because like and and this movie in a lot of ways has i think has parallels to like american made and in the same way that like i'm not sure all that is true that i'm not sure all this is true but both of these movies are like especially this movie the true life story is so fantastic like the line of what's made up is probably like so unconsequential like i just end up believing it all you know what i'm saying like because it's so unbelievable all of it but i know that it's all sort of based on a true story so i just go with it all you know so this whole thing about like colin hanks on christmas and leaving flash comics and things like that like if that didn't happen it doesn't matter because like now it's part of the lore and like (laughs) you know i couldn't imagine it any other way and I think that sort of goes along with, with what you're just saying there, too, about, like, how he, he is sort of, like, become obsessive with Hanks, and it's like, Hanks is now obsessed with him, too, and it's like, I could read him before he, you know, I know what he's thinking before he's even thinking it now, like, I'm one step ahead of him, finally, and, I, and I'm sure he wasn't, right? I'm sure they did stuff to Carl's character, too, to change things, like, he, he definitely knew who the fucking Flash was, come on, like, he has a kid, you know, like, he's been in a comic book store before, the Flash wasn't born yesterday, but I, I love it because it just, those are the little sort of like flourishes you know or revelries or whatever that like take this from being based on a true story to sort of like its own movie um, one last thing about the Pan Am thing. Yep. One of those uh, stewardess is a friend of my sister. When oh. my sister was in high school, her friend Debbie, who goes by Debbie in the movie, stayed with a family like around the corner from us because she was like a model and everything. And she was doing like stuff in New York City and like hung out with my sister for like a couple weeks. I remember when my sister was like, my friend Debbie's in uh, Catch Me If You Can with Leonardo DiCaprio. And I'm watching the whole movie waiting for Debbie to show up. And, and she finally did. Interesting. That's very cool. That's very cool. You know, the one thing I want to go back one second to you know comparing this American made and like whether or not it's real but you're gonna go along with like I feel like whether you're adapting something like we just talked about on Cruise Club we talked about Rock of Ages right and like about how that was like a mess but you're adapting it from source material and everything like it's hard to gauge like what to change how to change what to believe where to go whatever but I feel like when you're able to do something in the universe that feels true to the characters and true to the performance and true to the source material whether in this case it's a book or a guy's life or in Rock of Ages like a musical I 
feel like if it's authentic, you can go with it, right? Like, it's not like you're just movie-fying things up because it's going to make a better movie. It feels like, oh, you know, he might not have read comics, but it feels like he would have. Or, like, the same thing we're going to get, like you were saying, like with American Made, like, if it feels true to the world and true to the story, who cares if it's real? Like, it's like, if it's fun and it adds to the story, that's all that matters. You know, I got that vibe with, and I was a little, because at the time I was very sort of not worried, but I was, like, on edge when Watchmen was coming out on HBO. But, like, it comes out, and it's like, no, like, there's nothing to worry about. Like, everything here feels like this is yeah this is the way it would have played out like there's just a natural something to it in the way that the characters and stories are already sort of derived that like everything just kind of falls into place on its own so i just love when that happens are we gonna do things we don't like in this movie because i'm stretching i'm really i've been thinking this whole time of like something i really the thing that i said that i didn't like was just the the amy adams like the abortion thing seems to come out of like it, it gets serious in a, in a really quick way right it gets heavy in a quick way and that's the one thing that i don't really love i think i wish there was just a little more of frank being a kid like before or during during like during right because like like he's pretending to be an adult in all these adult situations and he's got a great sense of authority and all this kind of stuff like i would just like like we get a great moment where we find out that he can't stand the sight of blood like things like that you know like things that or like okay there's a great moment when he pretends to be a lawyer and he gives that whole spiel and the judge is like there's no jury there's no client it's just us like little things like that where it's like oh yeah he's just a dumb kid still and it's like seeping through and things but i just wanted to see him not necessarily mess up more because he was a kid but like just be more of like a child i guess but i mean like even even if it's just like him buying dumb shit right like if it, even if it's just him buying like toys or bubble like he buys a deck of cards and jennifer garner uses that to like basically reveal i guess that she's a prostitute like is that what's happening there yeah. i guess so right but like a deck of cards like it's childish but it's not really and maybe it's just a different era maybe cards back then were more of a toy but like now it's just like oh that just feels like a nor- like it feels like well first of all i think that nobody would buy anymore because you just probably have like a card game on your phone or whatever but like it just feels like something like not kids would buy like the Aston Martin is like that's a that's that's like a close example but like that's not a great example because it's almost like right. bond inf- you know what i mean like i want to see him like buy candy or something <laughs> yes that's yeah exactly like i want to see him buy like comic like a bunch of comic books or whatever like just you know be like oh like it just feels like he becomes like i know he is becoming an adult very quickly but it feels like he becomes an adult very quickly and he's like throwing parties and like he's just like i I agree like i don't know if we need it but i think it would have been a lot of fun to see yeah you know that scene with jennifer garner i like that he essentially gets paid four hundred dollars to sleep with her for a night right because like she's not gonna be able to cash that check what a switcheroo like yeah because it's all free money to him you know so he gets she pays him 400 bucks and like you know he's just like because he's gonna go down to the lobby to cash the cashier's check she's like don't you think that's gonna be suspicious he's like well this says fourteen hundred dollars and i'm not gonna just give you she's like how about i give you four hundred it's like oh like she has no idea how terrible of a deal that is for her but like to us it's hilarious like it's so funny what's even more nuts is like you see him go through his checks and he has a thousand dollar check yeah so he's like no i'm gonna i'm gonna get over on her (laughs) i'm gonna con her one thing I do want to point out, though, is that Tom Hanks is a dad, and maybe maybe that's the thing that I wish that we got a little bit more of. Like, it feels like him as a dad kind of comes on unexpectedly at the end. Did you feel that or no? Yeah, well, I thought that I thought that was like, um, I was like, oh, he's a 
and he's a, got a kid, and then you find out, well, he's divorced, and she lives in, in another city and everything. And then I was like, oh, okay, that actually makes a lot of sense. I wish we knew that, like, at the beginning of the movie, because that kind of would, like, feed more into his, not just his obsession with catching Frank, yeah, but it being... it explains, like, why he basically wants to adopt, in many ways, Leo, right, right? Right, Why they, like, become surrogate father and son to each other. Yeah, it makes, you know, it's, mu- it's much more sort of, like, packed, if you know that earlier, uh, instead of just like, oh, by the way... Because the way that they introduce it at the end, it almost feels like it's not real. Like he's just saying it just to like make like to generate sympathy. But like it, it like it, it's 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 strange. Like I I don't know to what and like maybe maybe there were other iterations. Maybe it's a reason that it's two twenty instead of like two forty. But like have a, a scene or two like him on the phone or him calling. I don't like it. Just it feels like it comes out of nowhere and you're right like it explains so much about who he is and why he's doing it that it's it feels strange that it doesn't happen yeah and and it's not like in a way where it makes like a lot of impact like i feel like it would make more impact if we do that at the beginning you know what i'm saying like and it feels like maybe spielberg feels like it's making the impact he wants and it just kind of falls flat for for me too so I have some trivia. Before I get to the trivia, is there anything else that you want to say about the movie? Things you like, things you didn't like? Just other comments before I add trivia and we do some awards? Yeah, the score is great. I know we'll probably mention that when the when the awards Oscar come nominated, around. I think, John Williams. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay, so there's one moment in this movie I thought was hilarious because it reminds me of, of movies that that have to do this from time to time. So there's a scene in this movie where Tom Hanks basically teaches people how to forge a check and like how to float it around the country and everything that like look it's way harder to do when this movie came out and stuff but like this movie probably had to like really pull back on what they showed in regards to what frank was really doing because they're teaching you how to be a check forger in this film and i thought that was great I think part of that might be like a wink wink at the end is that at the end of the credits or like in the, I guess the beginning of the credits, the end of the movie when they're like, here's where Frank is now. And like it basically he, he's now working with these banks to create secure checks, right? It's almost just like, oh, like all these things that we're teaching you how to do, don't be dumb, don't try to do them because he's basically working to make sure that you can't actually do the thing. Right. But yeah, I think that's that's very funny. Just like, hey, how to uh, defraud banks from, you know, written by Steven Spielberg, apparently. Oh, I got, I got one more quick little thing, which I thought was funny so like there's a lot of like pilot flying stuff with leo in this and he's going to go on to be howard hughes in the aviator which is yes 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 in that movie his big rival is pan am and like pan am is like it like they really i think it's like one of the only two airlines they mentioned by name maybe but like they really kind of stick it to pan am in this movie i feel where like he goes to interview the guy and he's like well none of this happened at pan am but like yet that was like the first airline they show frank like scheming on and stuff so right. i just love that very funny very very funny okay so here is some trivia so to get her to kiss leo the way that he wanted her to spielberg told amy adams to pretend she was starving to death and eating a cheeseburger (laughs) yeah i noticed that was a very because there's like cinematic making out and then there's just like like real life kind of making out and i was like Mm -hmm. that's hilarious because that is not cinematic at all like that is clearly like character driven someone who is starving right now so the real life frank abagnale is the french officer that arrests frank on christmas eve so that he's actually in the movie which is pretty cool he must have gone through a lot of therapy to be able to do that right to be able to play the guy who like arrests him and throws him in yeah (laughs) and the last thing you mentioned one of these actors earlier but the original choices for the leo part and the hanks part for leo was johnny depp 
Depp, this is Spielberg's original idea, was Johnny Depp for the Leo part and James Gandolfini for the Hanks part. Ooh, huh. Was that agent, like, a bigger dude or something? Because Hanks doesn't seem especially, like, a mountain, like, imposing like that. Like, I'd be more sort of threatened by Gandolfini coming after me. (laughs) Right. I mean, I guess, you know, unless you're Alabama Warley and you're going to beat him. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Cover him, right? So um, I think that's all the trivia, all the notes that I have. But again, this is a very good movie. You should go see it. I don't know if it's streaming. Like, I didn't even look because I own the Blu-ray. Like, this is one that I'm just like, oh, I want to watch this a bunch. Let me actually see real quick if it's streaming anywhere for free. does not look like it is. So go out. I mean, it's worth going out and renting or buying or whatever. It's a very, very, very good movie. And especially if you're following along Hanks' career like we are, things are going to take a precipitous downturn, I think, for a little while. So, you know, not all bad, but, you know, this is definitely the last movie in that golden mile. Yeah, this was was a little better for, I think, like, I didn't have problems with his last few performances or anything, but, like, I feel like he kind of tried to stretch in it. Like, he's doing the accent, you know, he's got a funny haircut, like, he, you know, he's being a bit of a prick. Like, I I feel like before, you know, this slide we're about to experience, that at least, like, he tried to you know set us off with like a fun performance yeah all right so time for the woodies actually no before we get there hello i'm i'm jumping ahead here unnecessarily (laughs) does tom hanks in this movie do anything that revokes his privilege revokes his status from being america's dad well i guess not like even though he's a divorced father of one that doesn't see his own kid in this movie right he does things that would be like oh like he's still a he's still a good person and you, there's that's still in him like i think what he's trying to do with frank right is proof of that you know like sort of fathering yeah. him and mm-hmm. you know he could have been thrown to the wolves and all that kind of stuff but he's like no nah, there's something here worth protecting and helping to raise more in a different direction so so I will say, I, I, actually, I don't remember how I've been writing it down, yes or no. I guess I'll figure that out later. We'll probably tally the results and do them at the end when we do our sort of wrap-up episodes. But now time for the Woody's, the Tom Hanks Awards. Best film, of course. Catch me if you can. Oh, yeah. Oh, wait. Don't we have to play one more game? I don't think so. We only have the one question. What we about have, yeah. would Tom Cruise? We didn't do that in Rock of Ages. Damn. Oh, man. Tom Hanks and as Stacy Jacks? As Stacy Jacks? I don't think so. Oh, boy. I don't think so either. Okay, so yeah. Could Tom Cruise play the role of Carl here, Carl Hammerty? Also, another thing that I really liked was when they're at the Miami airport and they think that they have Leo in the coop outside and they go outside and the kid's just like, somebody paid me $100 to dress like this and to pick up a guy. And then, like, even before you see the sign, you're like, oh, I know it's going to say Tom Hanks' character's last name. It doesn't make it any less. It's just like, that's it's perfect. But do you think Tom Cruise could play? I think Cruise versus Leo is kind of like, like, it doesn't feel like, in this case, that Hanks was ever anything like Leo, but it feels almost like if Cruz was chasing Leo, it's like, I was there once, I did that thing once. I think it could work, but it'd be like a wildly different movie. Part of me feels like they'd turn in the same performance, even though they're playing different characters. Like, they feel, mm-hmm. they're almost, they're very, not that, I don't know, I do get a very similar vibe between Leo and Cruz from time to time with their intensity and, and their chances and choices and things like that. I mean, it would be very different. I, I think Cruz, it would be interesting to see him play sort of a dimwit in a way, you know, because like, like, let's be honest, like Tom Hanks, his character, he's like way too into his work. Like he has no social skills whatsoever. Like he cannot like sugarcoat things or break it to you gently, you know? <laughs> so it'd be interesting to see like that kind of character come out of Cruz, someone who's just like not that self-aware of himself because his character 
characters are usually like you know acutely self-aware of who they are and all that kind of thing but yeah it would be funny i don't know if it would be supposed to be funny but it would be fun to watch but how about this it's like almost if they did a sequel to this movie like you know how we had the hustler into the color of money okay it doesn't exactly track as paul newman's in both but like the point i'm trying to make is that like when leo grows up like it almost like he grows up into being tom cruise yeah that's what i was thinking right like tom cruise plays grown-up frank abagnale okay Whew. all right now third try trying to start the woody's now, <laughs> now that we've actually played all the games best film catch me if you can yes best hank's role yes or no we don't have a best supporting hank's role category because he right on like to, to that end like he isn't really the supporting role right in a lot of movies right and he's just like barely the supporting role here you know like i was saying in the beginning it's almost even stevens but uh, i feel like he's just I like and I've been like touting his performance in this but again it's like government spook you know what I mean like I almost yep. feel like yep. not that we've seen yep. him do it this way but we've kind of seen this kind of before He's kind of playing it the way that it needs to be played, which yeah. is not an insult, but it's just like, it's not like it's a standout, like in this career full of standout roles, it's not really here. Right. But I will say best ensemble, though, because everybody around, like he's part of the ensemble, right? Like everybody here is just perfect. Best fight. There's no fist fight, is there? Like there's a lot of like, because I think if there was a fist fight, like Leo would destroy him. Just based on youth and just based on vim and vigor. Oh, oh no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Uh, you know, yeah. Because like even when Hanks pulls his gun, you know, he's never fired that weapon. Or, I don't feel like his field training is going to hold up. Up. He did the bare minimum, so like throwing a punch for uh, Hanks' character, like easy to dodge from like a 15-year-old kid. Right. Yes, yes, yes. Best dance scene. Hanks does not dance, I don't think, right? Best party scene. There are parties. Like, there's the wedding and stuff, but I don't know there's one that's necessarily on par with the party in Big or Dragnet or Bachelor Party no, or like no. that, right? Like, no. Best Hanks outfit wardrobe. No, I do want to point out that he kind of looks like a blues brother when he takes yeah. his, when he tells his knock-knock joke. It's like, oh, he could, he could be a blues brother. Totally, totally. Best death. He does not die. Best line or best freak out. I'm just going to say best line is knock-knock. Absolutely. So we didn't even say the joke this entire episode because I was waiting for it to land here so if you want to go ahead and and say the joke you deliver the punchline so you you start it go for it knock knock who's there go fuck yourself and that's it and that's the joke (laughs) best soundtrack theme score yes for sure because it's great here john williams we mentioned earlier best or worst hanks love story there is none to talk about right right and then best non-hanks actor male or female we gotta say a little boy by the name of leonardo DiCaprio. so that means five nominees best film best ensemble best line best soundtrack and best non-hanks actor male very cool nice good one very very good all right mike so next week on cruise club our other podcast the other tom tom podcast we have jack reacher oh boy the first of two jack Reacher films as Cruz returns to leading man status over there. And then in two weeks, you and me right here with a guest or two on The Lady Killers, the Coen Brothers farce, The Lady Killers. So very exciting. I'm here. Like, this is, you know, I, I liked what the Hoff bros, to bring them up again, did on PSLF Hoffman, where they had broken his career into three acts. Like, I feel like it was kind of like before the Green Mile, Golden Mile, whatever, then that stretch of movies. And now, even though it's 16 years, like, it feels like we're kind of like in this third act. Or maybe we're just in the third of more than three. I don't oh. know. But it feels like we are entering now a new era for sure. Yeah. Right? Yeah, well, I mean, Hanks had been around for like... 15, 20 years before Hoffman or something like that, right? So, like, he, he has yes. more acts. He has a few more acts. True. Unfortunately, Hoffman will have no more True, act. true, true. Any other thoughts about Catch Me If You Can? I'm going to watch it again sooner than later. That's all I could think of, yeah. You'll catch it again if you can? <laughs> yes, exactly. 
So for all things Hanks for the Memories, you can go to cageclub.me, facebook.com slash cageclub, or at cageclubpod on Twitter and Instagram. Email us, hanks at cageclub.me. Like we said, come back next week on Cruise Club for Jack Reacher. Come back here in two weeks for the Lady Killers. Check out all 30, or basically all 70 or so episodes of the two podcasts combined at cageclub.me, along with all 27 shows. I'm Joey Lewandowski. And I'm Mike Manzi. And we'll see you next time right here on Hanks for the Memories. Fuck yourselves. <laughs>